Party on, Todd. Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. Well, welcome back, podcasters, to another episode of the Party on Johncast, uh, the, the podcast of epic proportions with theology, whatever we're drinking, uh, music, various topics, and two rockin' Johns. Uh, I'm Reverend Sal Samarco, uh, ordained teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church, in the serving in the validated ministry of chaplaincy. Always needing to validate it. Please validate me. <laughs> and I'm uh, Reverend Todd Laddick, uh, serving as a uh, an ordained elder in the uh, United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, serving in Newton, New Jersey, on certain higher ground than Sal. It's the only higher ground that I give him. That God gives me. Unfortunately, damn you, John Calvin. <laughs> it's a okay. It's a theology joke. Lots of bad theology jokes on here. Yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of pretend to, to get yeah, them. Yeah, it's, it's all, they're only slightly, well, I don't know if they're better or worse than dad, bad dad jokes, but they're they're on par at least. They're on par. Those too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as you can hear, podcasters, we do have a guest with us. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, we have a good friend, Chris, who is the owner of Training for Life Martial Arts, a dojo that I don't attend enough. Um but I did get my third degree black belt through. So, uh, hey, Chris. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Introduce yeah. yourself. Chris Lachura. I run uh, Training for Life Martial Arts uh, in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Uh, we teach anything and everything, mostly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu right now, um, some striking, kids, adults. When I'm not doing that, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, and... Uh, a part-time triathlete trying to be, but not so much right now. Mm. Nice. That sounds like 2020. I am, but not so much right now. <laughs> that's, that's 2020 in a nutshell. It is. <clears throat> well, I guess that probably brings us to our Hebrews segment. It does. <laughs> I got that one. That was good. Before we get there, before we get there, how do we know that God loves beer? How, Sal? Or coffee. He wrote about it in the book of Hebrews. But um, it's worse every time. Every time. I'm probably going to steal it, so. <laughs> it's all yours. Right? That is, that I mean. Is a, that is a bona fide dad joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pastor dad joke at that. Pastor dad joke. Um, so, uh, okay. So. Why don't we give the honors to our guest to tell us what what he is drinking, Chris? Uh, so it's uh, well, it's an energy drink, but it's uh, marketed as a uh, clean energy drink. I guess uh, it's got some caffeine, it's got some vitamins. Supposedly, it doesn't have any of the extra garbage. Company is called Kill Cliff, hmm. and it's pretty tasty, and it does the trick, especially when. Uh, uh, I think I had to get up today at five thirty. So mm. I was uh, going to say it's got the word "kill" in it. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't, better I don't deliver. Know what it is, but um, <laughs> it does a trick. Yeah, cool, cool. Does it make your heart race like uh, Red Bull? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No jitters. No nothing. Nothing like that. So where I guess can I, you where can you get it? I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, I ordered ordered on Amazon. Okay. I actually found out about it as uh there's two there's a recovery drink like if you work out you take the drink after 
which I, I do like. Uh, that one was what seems, you know, seemed to be doing a trick. And then I found that they had an energy drink. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give that a shot too. And uh, yeah, I like the company. It's some, it's some Navy SEALs that, um, that started it. So that right there makes me want to support it. Yep. Um, And uh, what, what flavor are you drinking? Uh, Citrus, smashing citrus. Okay. I'm going to give it a try. What we do at the end of the show, we'll put, we put the links to all our, all of our stuff in the, in the notes. So yeah, we'll, we'll give them some props. Um, you or me, Sal? Uh, I'll go. We are not being as healthy as Chris. No, um, I'm drinking Fat Tire. Um, was up until recently an independent craft brewery, but they sold out. But <laughs> who bought them? It's it's a Australian company, I think. So wow. I have a, I have a hard fast rule in my life. I don't. I try not to drink beer. I'm an eth- ethical drunk. I try not to drink beer from like Budweiser or Coors or the big conglomerates. I'm not um, so ethical with my uh, <laughs> with my beer drinking. <laughs> so, but this one I I still drink because actually Allison loves it, so I allow it. <laughs> Your wife says I want it, you buy it. Where do you yeah. get? It? Uh, <clears throat> you can get it in most most liquor store or a local liquor store um, gotcha gotcha sure one of the many that dot route 23 and who oh wait who owns it again i'm sorry my attention span well, is it's fat tire but they're the, i don't know the company it's an australian company it's not budweiser though it's not budweiser that's all that matters right? well i guess if the australian bought it it must be uh it must be good they <laughs> like the party yeah yeah absolutely so um, I guess that brings it up to me, doesn't it? It does bring it up to you. Okay. So, you? so I am drinking uh, Brooklyn Brown Ale. And uh, I love Brooklyn. Uh, I haven't had it in quite a while. Um, and I had never had their brown ale. I love brown ales like Newcastle and uh, and others. Um, but, but this is really, really good. It's... Um, kind of got a drier hoppier taste which i think is pretty uh consistent with brooklyn um but they don't it's kind of a brooklyn thing yeah um in fact my first time ever having brooklyn i had an ipa not knowing it what it was and i hated it and then as i grew into liking ipas i started to appreciate brooklyn a little more than my initial my initial my initial date with brooklyn was like a one and done we we broke up after first taste and then um but now i i I really appreciate it and i don't think they go overboard with the hops on this it's a nice dry drink but it has the the good qualities of a brown ale so so todd i guess you're giving me hope that i should probably give it a a second shot yes ipa in general I, i i've tried i would say maybe three so when, at what point did you finally turn the uh, corner and say, you know what, these are pretty good? Um, that's a good question. I, I think, uh, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly when, but like, as I became a more experienced drinker and liked drier drinks, I think I began to appreciate the hoppy nature of, I mean, so, some IPAs just taste like pine tar and oh, that's, it's like, that's... I can't, I can't do that. That's the problem with IPAs is they're super easy to make. Yeah. So every beer company has an IPA. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so you just have to find a good one. Um, I really like, um, I love Re- um, Rebel IPA from Sam is really good. Um, I love uh, Dogfish Head. Uh, what is their, their 60 minute IPA? That's a really good one. The ones that are more, a little more citrusy and taste more like a grapefruit or something, something that tastes like it should be a little bitter and you don't mind it. Um, yeah. versus like, okay, who tapped the pine tree and why am I drinking this? <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, there's hope. Um, try, try, uh, I would try those two, um, uh, and see if you can, you know, build up a tolerance from there. Yeah. Or I'd say Sam, uh, Sam Adams has some good, they're 76. 76 is good. It's te- technically an IPA, but it tastes more like a regular yeah yeah start in the lighter end and then and then increase (laughs) yeah um and then for a follow-up to that uh i have uh a drink that is definitely not methodist it's um it's uh made mostly with water and crystal light but i decided to throw in a little everclear which makes it hard crystal (laughs) so so the running, the running joke is that Methodists don't drink. Yeah, we're not in in our in our discipline and in our history. Uh, we really, especially back in the uh, temp, you know, the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, we supported temperance, which is funny because temperance doesn't mean abstinence. Temperance means be moderate. Right. Uh, but somehow that grew into ban all alcohol, and the Methodists went with that and supported prohibition. And we weren't supposed to support or buy anything yeah you know, has alcohol in it. But they've loosened up. I mean, I'm sure some places aren't loosened up, but New Jersey's loosened up quite a bit. And as long as you're responsible and you're not bringing it into the church where you might have alcoholics, you know, stumble over it. Uh, you're, you're good. Yeah. What you do in your private life responsibly is no concern to the, to the church as as they look at it now. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, technically it's still, it's still a disciplinary thing where, you know, you're not supposed to be buying or supporting alcohol because of the vice that it can be for some, but I think by and large, they've, they've, realize that that you know that's a little draconian so yeah hence why hence that's why me as a presbyterian can't use wine for eucharist at my place of employment because it's run by the methodist church well yeah. a methodist ministry yeah and yeah. i and i overall um support that i mean if you were doing like um wine with an individual who's like you know catholic or or uh, episcopalian or something like that then that's one thing but i think overall um recognizing that there are people all over the place with alcohol and having alcohol available and someone falling off the wagon because they had communion that's certainly not the kind of grace we want to be imparting to them so i i support that general rule but i you know don't tell me I can't have my beer because <laughs> I, I like my beer. So, or my heart crystal. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll find out we pastors drink a lot. It's just a habit. Well, it's how you start your show. So it's gotta be important. It is important. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you're into bourbon or whiskey. Oh, but well, we, uh, you know me. No, no. Okay. We occasionally do shows just with bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we have actually friends who run a, um, a podcast called God and Whiskey, uh, both of whom host it. Uh, both of who ho- uh, both whom host it uh, are Methodist pastors. So if that tells you something, and one lives in Jersey, the other in North Carolina. So like I said, I think it's loosened up mostly everywhere. But yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, it's supposed to be temperance. Temperance, right? Temperance. Uh, as long as you are temperate, uh, have at it. If you're not, you you stop. Um, so, uh, well, that concludes our, you know, I never even sipped my beer. So cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. All right. That's enough uh, liquor talk. Okay. We're done. Yep. Well, we're not done, but we're done. (laughs) So that brings us into our most excellent music segment. Okay, so I I have to admit I gave this portion of the um I gave this portion of it zero thought. So I'm gonna pass it on to you, Sal, to uh tell me what you're listening to and I'm gonna give this some thought. Uh well I give it about ten percent thought. Um I didn't have anything ready until um a friend of mine texted me and said, Hey, did you hear uh Wolfgang Van Halen Wolfgang Van Halen's tribute to his father? Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Eddie Van Halen died last month. Uh, so his son, who was actually the bassist for Van Halen uh, for the last couple of years, um, put out a tribute song called Distance. Um, and I've watched it three times already, and I've cried every single time. Uh, I think the three of us as fathers could understand why. But um, I think it's a good example of... Uh, it's a good example of showing that um, what grief is like. Um, we tend, our music, Chris, tends to have themes to it. So, um, yeah, it's just a good thing about grief. And he actually wrote it to his father before he died as he was writing it or as he was dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, when Eddie Van Halen died, um, Wolfgang said, you know, I think I need to record this, which is part of a good, healthy grieving process. Um, so, uh, if you get a chance, we'll link it uh, in the in the notes. Um, yeah. I'll check that out. I mean, yeah. obviously, love Van Halen. So, uh, Van Halen is yeah. just uh, they they well surpassed uh, legendary. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize uh, uh, that his son was um, playing in the band. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, <clears throat> started playing with them. They went. When they did their first reunion tour back in 2007-ish, Wolfgang was like 16 years old. Wow. And joined the band. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to see them in their last their last tour, uh, 2012, um, at MSG, um, which was crazy. I bet. It was a really good show. Um, was Wolfgang playing with them at that point? Wolfgang was playing with yeah. them. Yep. So, uh, um, I know he said that, that his having Eddie Van Halen as his dad was both a blessing and a curse, you know, as I'd imagine it, it was. Uh, but clearly I, I know that he was recently on record of saying that like, this has hit him a lot harder, I think, than he realized and um, has really been struggling with, 
you know, missing his dad, obviously. And uh, so I definitely, I've heard the song because Sal shared it with me and it's, it, it is a a tearjerker. Just, just because, just because, you know. I think when your father is such a, such a public figure and has changed, literally changed rock and roll, um, that kind of looms heavy over, like, I'm sure all of us have our own dad issues that we deal with and how dads loom over us. But, you know, he had those big shoes to fill, but then also uh, he did say in that that same interview, he did say that he, um, he realized how connected him and his father were. Cause they were both, he obviously inherited the music gene from his father. So. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So uh, here's to Eddie Van Halen and to Wolfgang and family. Um Awesome. So I have, uh, I have thought of something. It's another instrumental because I haven't really been listening to music a lot lately, which is weird. You know what I think it is? And, oh, thank God the season is coming to a close. But with, with the elections and all that going on, I've been watching way too much news. And I'm not one to watch a ton of news. I'll catch up on it just to make sure I'm not like ignoramus out there <laughs> you know especially when you're on the pulpit and you're acting like it's a great day and you find out there were you know terrorist attacks or something like that so you gotta you gotta keep up on the news but i am not one to like sit there glued and watching it but with, with temperance yeah yeah uh we're now at the season where temperance is starting to creep back in and i might go back to you know the finer things like the arts uh and i'm reading a book right now that i'm really enjoying um so that has pulled me away from from TV as well. But I did watch um, kind of because of watching the news, I, I decided to rewatch the series uh, John Adams. Mm. I don't know if you saw that on HBO, Chris, or yeah, I heard great things about it, though. It is absolutely excellent. It's a six part mini series. Uh, yeah. They're each about an hour, hour and 10 minutes long. So it's not like killer to watch an episode. And it's so good. You find yourself watching two, three, <laughs> you know, like time passes like that. But um, Paul Giamatti plays uh, 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 Adams and um, it just is it just great. Yeah, it's just great. And the music in it is really good, especially the opening theme song. And I found the soundtrack and uh, just could listen to that theme song on repeat. So I'll post that in the episode notes if I can find it. Um, but it just it it has a patriotic 1776 kind of feel to it but it also has the weight of the responsibility that fell on people like adams um the the ups the downs the the triumph and the trials uh so just that show really puts into perspective the amount of sacrifice not just that adams made or the founding fathers made but their families too and um, the risky business they got into. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's going to be my choice. I'll, I'll post the theme song from that, from that uh, movie. So sim- similar to, um, to Todd's, I, uh, I got heavily involved in this show, Yellowstone. Ooh, I've heard of it. Um, Kevin yeah. Costner. Yeah, I love Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner uh, uh, Montana, cattle ranching. And, you know, kind of a patriarchy dynamic, the whole the family run business and people trying to uh, take over the business uh, or take his land and et cetera, et cetera. But the show has got such good music. 
Mm-hmm. So when you were when you were talking that I was thinking it's like when you're like when you're like so into a show and I mean my wife and I got pretty into it when you enjoy the show so much and then it's like paired with good music it's like when you listen to the music by itself it also brings you back to the show absolutely so it's like a double whammy and it's like you just kind of get obsessed absolutely it's like the soundtrack to braveheart right like the yeah the movie was exactly. phenomenal on its own but then you pair it to the to the music you just want to go do something <laughs> it's just like freedom yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so great okay awesome yellowstone so that's a good show i i've I love Kevin Costner. I just re- rewatched um, his take on White Earp, uh, which is a three-hour epic, but phenomenal. Um, and actually, after watching a documentary on on John Henry Doc Holliday, uh, I found that actually the store, the the movie, the film leaves very little detail out. I mean, it is very historically accurate, um, and uh, just a, it's a great film. So. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I, I didn't, you know, I don't really gravitate, I guess, towards shows in this genre, but yeah. uh, it, you know, like you said, I mean, you watch one episode and then you just, you just want to keep it going, keep it going. Then you're, you're three seasons done and you're like, when is the fourth season coming? Right, right. Uh, but, but yeah, I went down the rabbit hole of like trying to find every, every song. I wanted to know what the songs were. Um, there's a guy, Coulter Wall, mm-hmm. who's, I you know I'm, I I've always liked country music, but you know the way the country music is on just kind of the radio, it's more you know more poppy. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this guy, I mean, it's like I don't know. I guess it's it's real western, western folk kind of. And that's a different feel from modern that's, country music. Yeah, oh that's sure, hundred percent. Like, a, like you can feel like you can feel it when he sings. Like, like there's some real emotion connected to it. You know, the words make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And they're usually, I mean, unfortunately, country became, I think, modern country not only became pop, but it became kind of like the Jerry Springer show where, you know, you're born in the back of a truck and. Uh, it's a formula. There's yeah, it's a formula, like some guys cheating on a girl and the girl scratches the keys down the truck and, you know, slashes the tires. And, it, it, you know, a couple of those songs are good and you can kind of like get into them. But after a while, it's just like, Ugh. I can tell you the formula right now. It's beer. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and American Jesus. Yes. And, and yep. I th- I think um, you get back to some of the classics like Johnny Cash and uh, some of the gr- the greats of uh, old um country western music it, they were storytellers they were folk musicians but you, you guys got to check this guy out i will well um all of his stuff is is good but a lot of people have compared him to to cash okay and i think the guy i think he's in his 20s like I wow think he's super young but he's just got this voice where it's like wow you're just kind of blown away yeah wow um but yeah it's uh I, I picked it up from that show from that show yellowstone so. cool cool i'm definitely gonna check out the show and i'm definitely gonna check out uh uh that musician as well i'm uh interested in hearing it i i i'm an eclectic music listener i listen to things of all genres um but um the closest to pop rock uh country i i get typically is like garth brooks who i love just because he's 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 obviously a country musician but he's also a 
damn rock star. <laughs> I just love his and, persona. And I, you know, his his whole his whole generation, I feel like was kind of before the yes. whole yeah. kind of get just put to a, a spot. Yes. No. Yeah, they kind of set up the the current music in some ways uh, by by making it more mainstream, but they were still pretty much country. Yeah. Um, that's kind of that's kind of when I stopped listening. Stopped listening to country was that generation. Yeah, but but yeah, that's definitely when it switched over to being mainstream. Let me tell you, there was nothing greater, and I've been to a lot of concerts. There was nothing greater than being at Garth Brooks live from Central Park. 1999 uh it was 1998 or 99 i think it was 99 uh my friend and i just last second said let's go and like somehow thought we were going to get to where we could see him on the stage and we did (laughs) but almost got into a couple fights trying (laughs) um but we did and uh he was about this big you know little itty bitty person uh but they had screens so you could see it and billy joel came out and played along with him and it was just like it was just iconic yeah so, um, uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. So that is our most excellent music segment. Rock on. Rock on. I guess that leads us to our main segment, which is martial arts. Absolutely. Well, and specifically, uh, <clears throat> we're having you on, Chris, because uh, you're who we know. Um, so I figured if you wanted to give a little background, like, uh, your martial arts history obviously we have we you and i kind of have a shared history with martial arts yeah why don't we why don't we do that and uh sal you and i can also share our um our martial arts history as well Mm -hmm. so a little bit uh your your martial arts history what you got into it why you stuck around um what made you want to do both traditional stand-up and uh jiu-jitsu and, yeah, definitely. Uh, what um, kind of inspired you to start the school? So I started when I was five. Uh, I remember the conversation literally as clear as day. I was leaving. I guess, you know, my 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 dad had picked me up from, I don't know, I guess it's kindergarten or pre-K, one, one of those. And he asked me if I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. And that was literally it. Uh, so that same day we went, uh, I, I lived, I grew up in Teaneck, Teaneck, New Jersey, and we went to a school on Cedar Lane in Teaneck, um, Chunji Academy, mm-hmm. which is where I started and which is where I, I stayed until I was 25. So from, from pretty much the age of five, six to 25, uh, I took some time off, uh, in the high school years. But that, that's, where, that's where I did everything. That's where I got my uh, black belt, advanced black belts. Everything was through my original instructor, uh, Grandmaster Brett Kasser. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, it was uh, – I was obsessed. I, I, we, I, I think I went three, four times a week. Um, you know, it's what I did every day after school. Got my friends involved in it. We all did it together. Um, I didn't realize much, uh, much of anything beyond the physical until much later, you know, it was just, it was a skill that you were just kind of getting better at and better at. You could do cool things. You could, you could see the stuff in the movies and you're like, oh, I could do that too. You know, it, it, when you're, when you're 13, 14 and 15 years old, it, it was just kind of a cool thing to have. 
um, uh, with obviously for yourself and also, you know, with, with your friends. And then, you know, you're competitive with your friends and you want to be able to do things better than them and they want to do things better than you. And, and that was always that kind of friendly competition. And then, you know, going to tournaments, that was also fun. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't till it was before. So I went to college, uh, 19 years old, however old you are. I don't, I don't remember those things anymore. 18, 19, um, I trained at a school, so that was Taekwondo, right? That, all those years were Taekwondo, classical Korean martial art. Um, it wasn't the Olympic style of Taekwondo, it was the other side, the ITF. It was kind of a um, more of a free-flowing yeah. kickboxing style of sparring, at least, uh, a it's lot of the self-defense. Closer to karate. Closer, yeah, it was, uh, people actually referred to it as Korean karate. Um, so that was, yeah, that was, that's all the experience I had was all striking based. I went to college and I trained, uh, I went to a school in, in Connecticut and I trained at a school there. It was at an ITF school. And this guy was also very good, uh, real hardcore school, hardwood floor, you know, uh, for all the, uh, Taekwondo people out there, every class started with every form from white belt to black belt. That's how you started your class. And then you did your, you know, the meat and potatoes of the class. But I remember when I was out there, I did a tournament and the tournament had some crazy kind of rules where you could do takedowns. You couldn't do anything after the takedown, I think. Yeah. Cause I would have gotten destroyed, <laughs> but you could do takedowns. And I remember thinking, and I got taken down like literally every single time it wasn't even, I didn't know anything about any of that. And I was like, wow. That was, so I, I, I kept that in the back of my head and I was like, wow, that was kind of crazy. That was, that was, it was cool, but it was, it was crazy. Um, transferred out of uh, that school in Connecticut, went to New Jersey, kept training with my, my with my Teenex school. Um, still all, you know, Taekwondo um, stuff. And then it was, I guess, around 22 or 23 when a buddy of mine, a training partner, he's like, let's try something else. And we had both kind of decided on jujitsu just for the mere fact that it was like literally the other side of the spectrum. You had your hard art, which was like, you know, your Taekwondo, your karate. And then jujitsu was supposed to be the, the gentle art. Um, but it was grappling, you know, all I knew it was at that time was just like, you're going to grab each other. And I remember, how easy it was for me to get taken down. I was like, let me learn what that's all about. So we both found a school. He found a school um, where he lived, which was in Lyndhurst. And I found a school, which was where I was living in the Fairlawn area at the time. We were living in Elmwood Park. Um, so we checked his out first and, you know, straight Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school tiny place, um, professor Chris Savarese. He's my one and only Brazilian Jiu Jitsu instructor. Um, you know, tiny place, but it was like, it was, it was hardcore. I remember going in the first day, uh, me and me and a friend of mine, and we just sat there and <laughs> just watching people literally smash each other into the floor. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at it, you don't realize like what it actually entails. You're just like, okay, they're on the ground. They're grabbing each other. This is kind of what I was thinking that I wanted to do. So let's do it. Good to go. 
And that's what started my jujitsu journey. I must, I must have been, I, I gotta say 23 or 24, I would say. And, you know, 10, 11, 12 years later, got my black belt in that. And, uh, uh, and, and that's, those are my, my two, you know, my two babies. I have my, my Taekwondo, um, past and I have my jujitsu present and future, not to say that Taekwondo isn't a part of my future. Um, I can't do much of the kicks anymore, unfortunately. That stuff, that stuff just wrecked me. But you know, so many of the of the principles taught by my instructor, my taekwondo instructor, I, I use every day. I mean, I use it in business. I use it in, in parenting. I use it in, you know, being a husband. It's it, it crosses the crossover effect of of everything that you learn in martial arts is so huge and so vast. Um, you can literally draw upon it every day. Um, that's and, where, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, that's where the spiritual comes in. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then as far as the school, um, going back to when I was in college, I, I remember I had a conversation with my dad. Um, and I was like, I think I, I, I what I was doing business at the time. And I think I was like, uh, I might just want, I might want to open a school. So I kept that, I kept that kind of in my head, martial arts school, might want to open a school. And, and when I transferred out of Connecticut back to Jersey, that's when I really started to become like a full-time instructor for my instructor, basically the, you know, teaching all the classes, all the kids classes, uh, adult classes, uh, private lessons, and just kind of learning how to be a teacher. Not had really nothing to, we didn't start really anything about a school but just kind of be a teacher. And I did that basically, I think it was my sophomore, my junior, my senior year of college. I think, yeah, I don't know. They, they, I was joking with somebody about when this whole thing happens, like literally six months of 2020 are just erased. And you're like, so thrown off on what month it is. Where you are. You aren't kidding. (laughs) Um, So long story short, my instructor, got a call from Sal's instructor mm-hmm. basically saying, I'm, I'm getting out, I'm selling the school. I'm, you know, uh, do you have any, anybody in mind that's, that's looking to do this? And then my instructor came to me and said, um, we got an opportunity. Let's, uh, let's go check it out. And the rest is history. 2010. That was, mm-hmm. uh, West Parkway, Pompton Plains, Second story school, went to check it out. I said, yeah, let's do it. Above a gymnastics school. Above a gymnastics academy. Yep. 700 square feet. Wow. Tiny little, little spot. And that was a cool little spot. Yep. I miss that school. Um, I still tell people, I was like, that setup was, was phenomenal. I mean, you had the main training floor, which is completely enclosed, which means no parents. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then you had the waiting room, which was basically the same size, you know, behind the plexiglass, plenty of tables, plenty of, plenty of chairs, and then a separate office, like away from that the setup was awesome. Right. You know, just that, that particular gymnastics Academy went in a different direction and said, you got two months to go. So I said, uh, okay. As it happens. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's. So as, as Chris alluded to, that's kind of where our, his and I 
paths crossed. I, similar to Chris, I started the Taekwondo when I was probably a little older, probably seven or eight. Um, <clears throat> parents wanted to get me involved in some sort of physical activity and kind of let me choose. And I, <clears throat> I knew there was a school opening in Pompton Lakes, uh, the Academy of Taekwondo. It was then at one point run by a guy named Rich Rossidi. Uh, Chris knows of him. I'll just leave it at that. He's a character. Um, <clears throat> you know, traditional ITF uh, school. Um, so grew up in in that system. Went for my black belt. Um, actually tested for my black belt. Um, at that point, um, uh, Rasidi had transferred the school over to my, then my, the instructor that sold the school to, to Chris, uh, Anthony. Uh, so senior of high school, uh, actually tested for my, my black belt, um, the day of my high school graduation, uh, actually showed up, rolled up to my high school graduation late, <laughs> snuck into line as we hey. marched up, marched up to the field. Priorities. Priorities. <laughs> That's right. He was That's like, right. do you want your black belt or not? No hey, brand. at least you rolled up to your, your graduation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I got my black belt through, uh, Anthony, I kept training with him until in my twenties, um, took a couple of breaks here and there. Um, took a break, found a school out in Iowa when I went to seminary. Um, I was the first to read black belt at that point. Um, when I went to seminary, found a school in Iowa that was kind of a mixture. It was one of these, you know, weird schools where they start their own system and it was yeah. a mixture. Of, we, we, mixture. we talked about those. Yeah. It's a mixture of Taekwondo, ITF Taekwondo and Judo. So that was my first introduction to some of like the takedowns and stuff. Um, uh, but I found it because it was the closest IT, closest to ITF Taekwondo I could find. Started training there, came back to Jersey over winter break and said, told Anthony, I was like, so, and this is, this is probably six or seven years after I got my black belt said, so can you, test me for my next next degree um and had Six, to twist seven years right yeah, seven years. supposed to be two yeah in the in the taekwondo system it's supposed to be for every degree you go up in black belt it's that number of years right well, from one to two is two years two to three is three years and so on <clears throat> so finally got him to promote promote me to second degree and then uh 2010 rolled around by that point really myself and, an, and another person eileen who chris knows we were essentially doing all of the teaching for anthony um he was a sheriff at the time so we were we were pretty much for free doing all the teaching um and he, he tells me oh there's a new guy gonna come in and take over the school help out he'll pay you um he'll like, pay okay you. <laughs> <laughs> um and so, and that was a matter of how the, how it was, how it was handled on his end, uh, I think was unfair to Chris. Um, it, was, it was interesting yeah. to say the least. Um, so, but eventually I the, came around. The look on Sal's face on my first day uh, kind of explained it all. Cause you know, Sal uh, wears his emotion on his face so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he just kind of had this look like, what are you talking about? What's happening? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All, oh, of, all of Anthony's stuff was gone. And here was this new guy, Chris, who was like, Oh, Hey, I'm Chris. I'm the owner of the school. And I was like, hmm? 
No, I think I, I stuck around and helped you out with that class and then uh, took me a while to come back and finally came back and um, convinced as many of these students as I could to, hey, let's stick around. This Chris guy is a good guy. Um, <clears throat> and then under Chris, uh, myself and Eileen tested. Mm -hmm. um, Don't Eileen you love that, though? Because I find that in the church, right? Like a pastor comes in, they they do their thing, and then when it's time for them to leave – you have to convince people to stay <laughs> like what the, like yeah. you shouldn't be married to the pastor. You're married to the place into the, into the art, into the, you know, like, well, uh, I, there's, you know, loyalty is, is a, is a huge thing for yeah. instructor to student. Mm -hmm. I've never, ever demanded loyalty. I've right. always felt that if you lead by example and you, and you teach and train a certain way that ha that happens organically, but there's a lot of instructors that demand it. So mm -hmm. if that instructor leaves, students will follow because it's kind of like um, doing it out of fear, not necessarily because um, mm -hmm. that makes sense. I want to be, I want to be with you. You know, I want to be in your in, in the church. That's very foreign, but not it's not foreign that people would be loyal to the pastor. But it, it's a foreign in the sense that the institution itself of the church. Uh, I don't know about Presbyterian, but certainly Methodist. Uh, frowns big time upon like following pastors um, out of churches because I mean in some churches that would just kill the <laughs> just kill the church you know um, but I guess in in a business model in a business setting uh, such as martial arts I could see where that and and each one is probably in, individually owned and I could see where that would that would yeah. that would happen yeah <clears throat> well uh, and I think Chris and I both came up in the generation of at least for the taekwondo end of it came up in that generation of when you train and you sparred you you basically beat each other up it was you know full contact as hard as you could go mm -hmm. uh, that's not me i swear i'm not calling you uh, yep that was me that was my dad <laughs> um so that that was part of the loyalty too was it was chris's approach was a different approach mm -hmm. to teaching it was a more um teaching approach more humane approach um and then chris is who introduced, introduced me to the the rolling which you know i've been very i've been a reluctant student so to speak i've been a very much an off and on student um, so sal are you telling me that your original instructors were crease they were, they were. <laughs> <laughs> no strike hard strike first no strike hard no mercy <laughs> that's right we did a Cobra Kai episode last month. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah. Really, just to pull, it's amazing how that has just had a rebirth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like good. Like the show is actually really, really the good. The show is phenomenal. It actually, I, I actually think it makes the original Karate Kid movies better because <laughs> it fills in so many details you didn't even know you needed. <laughs> um, right. It's just, it's just a great show. Um, so I have very limited background in martial arts. Um when I was a teenager, I was bullied a lot as a kid. Uh, when I was a teenager, my dad, my dad's answer to that was, well, come in the basement. I'll teach you how to box. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was always interested in martial arts. I loved, you know, Bruce Lee. I loved like watching those types of films. I, I had his uh, Tao of Jeet Kune Do that I had had read and uh, of course, yeah. love the philosophy. Um aspect of it though at the time i didn't realize that's what that was uh but you know as a philosophy undergrad i i 
I now know otherwise, but um, I, I just loved the general spirituality of it, but also the, the building of self-confidence and self-esteem and uh, you know, all of those values that come as an integral part of martial arts. So I, I would say it was probably thir- 13, maybe 14 when I started uh, martial arts, I went um, to Vince's karate school or karate Academy, which was in Hardiston, New Jersey. Um, and Vince uh, taught uh, Tang Sudo and uh, which is kind of like the sister of Taekwondo. Um, I think it even predates it, right? Tang I Sudo. think, I think it predates, uh, predates. Taekwondo. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, and I, I got up to, so I got up to green belt with two stripes, I believe, which uh, the next would have been red belt and then black belt. But then uh, as with everything in my later teens, I lost, um, I was going through my own stuff, um, depression, all that, that stuff. And I just lost interest and never went back. And um, I actually, I don't, I'm not one to regret many things. Uh, I do regret giving that up though because it was a sense of accomplishment that I don't think I had anywhere else in my life at the time. Now yeah. I have accomplishments I can, I can look at and be encouraged by. But at that time, I think that was a, it was a mistake to give that up. Um, well, that, that age in particular is it's one of the most challenging ages on an instructor end, like as a school owner and on the student end to yeah. get going because most schools don't have a broad, like, you know, like a program for, the 12s, the 13s, the 14s. So they're either going to be with the adults, which I was, or, yep. or they're going to be uh, the biggest kids, the oldest kids in the kids' class. Yeah. So, and even if they're with the adults, which is probably better for them, as long as the instructor knows what they're knows what he's doing, knows yeah. what she's doing. Um, the frustration levels creep in because they're adults, right? So. Yep. It's going to be tough to keep up this and that and this and that. So then you're quitting at an age potentially where you're your most vulnerable psychologically. Correct. Yeah. You know, and that's, and I, I hate to see it with my, with my kids. I'm like, I'm like, if you're in high school, if you're going to college, if you're in college locally, like it should be mandatory that you're here Yeah. because you know, you wake up feeling one way and by midday, you're completely, you're feeling a completely different way. And then you go to bed feeling a completely different way. Right. You need something to to regulate those hormones. You need something to give you that, like you said, that sense of accomplishment, mm-hmm. such a, you know, it's a hard age for, for a school, but it's like, it's even, a, you know, it's a hard age for the, for obviously the student as well, but they, they need yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, that's, <clears throat> that's where it becomes an, Chris, you and I have talked about this, that you know, when you get older, um, the training becomes therapeutic almost. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a joke. With, I have a joke with my colleague because I'm the only I'm the only spiritual caregiver at, at the facility. So not everyone understands what I deal with. So oftentimes my only outlet. Going to the school and train um you know there was the stand-up or more recently the the ground stuff with you and um i same impression when i first tried the 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 grappling stuff with you was uh that first time getting choked out oh my god (laughs) yeah 
your mind races like, oh my God, what am I, like you walk in as a third degree black belt in Taekwondo and you're like, oh, I know nothing. <laughs> so yeah. that's a hum, that's a, hum, that's a humbling, a very humbling thing. Feeling, it's, a, yeah. it's a humbling experience. It's a healthy experience. <laughs> as long as you can, as long as you can admit it to yourself yeah. Yeah. and not, and not rationalize it in a way where it's, you're just kind of protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's challenging. Cause I had the same experience when I, when I started jujitsu, I was already a well-accomplished black belt and I would, I was about to open a school and this and that, but you know, when you're a white belt in jujitsu, you're a white belt in jujitsu. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what else, you know, That's right. matter what else, you know, yeah, it's, it's almost, I mean, not that you completely throw your skills out the window, but it's almost like throw everything you learned out the window because this is something different. This is this is a different yeah. approach to uh, to martial arts. But it, but it's actually more helpful to throw it out the window. And yeah, embrace within. Absolutely. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, martial artists try to cross over to the other art, and it's like they're literally trying to do their their comfortable art in the new art. It does, and yeah. it's like you know, it's just creating this friction i'm like no you gotta you gotta give over you gotta give yourself over to it you gotta embrace the new art and then one day down the road when you've mastered both (laughs) you you can worry about how you mix and match but but to do it while trying to learn the new art it doesn't do justice to the art and it doesn't help you (laughs) that's a a life lesson in itself is being being willing to and aware enough to admit you don't know what you're doing well and that that comes down to a spiritual I think a universal spiritual truth and reality Um, in scripture, it says that um, that God exalts the humble, but humbles the proud. And even if you take God out of that, I mean, the idea that if you are a really proud person um, and you can't admit to yourself that you ever do wrong or that you, you have any sort of failings, moral or otherwise, you're eventually going to learn how small you really are. Uh, one day or other or or another, that's that world is going to come crashing down in on you, and you're not going to be able to. Not only you're not going to be able to avoid it, but you're not going to be able to face it because because um, your your opinion of yourself was way higher than it than it ought to be. And I think that's a lesson in life, period. But certainly in learning martial arts, um, and this is it, where it gets accelerated. Yeah, yeah. Which is and it it, it gets accelerated. I would say more so in jujitsu, just for the fact that, like, you know, Sal, we, you know, and myself, we came through a taekwondo background. It's a very traditional art form, but even in that world, you can hide behind the belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, you would go to tests, you'd go to tournaments, and you would see it firsthand. You'd see a guy with twenty-five stripes on his black belt. You're like, okay, what, what's that all about? Like, really? You you don't. Um, he so, must be eighty at that point, right? Like, <laughs> should be, right? Should be. right, right. But yeah. but um, in jujitsu, you can't do that. You can't. Whatever whatever is around your waist, whatever whatever you feel like you are, has been earned, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And and through that earning process, um, there's going to be a ton of humbling and mm-hmm. becoming honest with yourself about about you know yeah feel well, that's, and that's what i appreciate about appreciate about the jiu-jitsu even though i barely train in it and i need to get back into it but um 
is that yeah, like Chris said, you can you in the traditional Taekwondo world, a lot of emphasis and a lot of um respect and tradition is put behind the belt. Um because you've quote unquote earned it. Um ironically, in a lot of Taekwondo schools you can learn earn that belt and if it's a McDojo, you can earn it pretty quickly. Mm. Um which kind of takes away from the whole respect the belt thing. Um, but yeah, you can hide behind the belt because at that point you then become the teacher, the student becomes the teacher. Um, whereas I think in jujitsu and some of the, those other, or judo or other traditions where you're, you're always the student. There's never a teacher student dichotomy. There's just a student dichotomy. Um, and yeah, it's, it's true. And uh, I think, and that's kind of evident in, what it took you 12 years chris to just to get your black belt in yeah just about yeah just about um it's you don't <clears throat> there's no set markers like in taekwondo chris and i know first degree black belt one year second degree black belt two years third degree three years in jiu-jitsu you don't earn a belt until you earn a belt it's based on your 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 ability but also mm-hmm. your willingness to be humble and to learn yeah um and that's a hard adjustment for some folks to make. Well, in that philosophy, I also saw in um, in Bruce Lee, who ironically, as a person, uh, there were two sides to Bruce Lee. There was the brilliant, like martial artist and philosopher, but then there was this arrogant kind of <laughs> kind of ego that that existed there as well, which is human, right? Like we we have more sides than just we're not two dimensional. But the idea behind Jeet Kune Do. And I, I remember people would ask, like, so uh, what belt? What belt am I starting off as? And he's like, well, what do you, you know, belts are to hold your pants up, like, like, it's, like you don't, you don't need a, you don't need a belt. You know, this isn't about w- winning in a, like some sort of award system. This is about yeah. learning, learning what you need to, to learn to to rise up to the occasion, you know, and to to be the the martial artist that you can be. Um, and we can discuss the the pros and cons of Jeet Kune Do itself, but the philosophy behind it is, no, this isn't, this isn't a, you know, a belt status kind of thing. This is a merit-based thing. This is like, have you earned this or have you not? And until you earn it, you're not, you're not getting it. Um, And I think that that's, that's important. I really, I really do. That's why, you know, even to become pastors, Sal, you and I know this, that that's not something you, they give you a time limit on. I mean, there's a time limit cap. Like if you take too long, you'll for, you know, bye-bye, but, um, but they're not going to tell you, okay, well, in one year you'll be certified in another year, you're going to go before the board of ordained ministry. And then in two years after that, you'll be ordained. It is when you get there, you get there if you get there, you know, and and it really depends on you at that point and and your ability to hear criticism, you know, constructive critique, uh, your ability to process, be self-reflective, to be humble and to take things in stride. Or if not, you're eventually not going to make it through because, you know, yeah, yeah, that I think you, you hit it on the head because, um, it's like a it's like a funnel right it's like you have a ton of white belts and then they funnel to the blue belt and then the blue belts get funneled to the pro belt and if you make it you make it you get weeded out if if and you don't get weeded out necessarily if you can't do the arm bar you can't do the this you can't do the that it's more of those like personality traits that you haven't corrected yet right you can't get to that to that level yeah it's on you at that point it's yeah. like the it's on, uh, on you 
that there was some black belt thing that went around the internet where a thousand people start training and a hundred get to a certain level and only, you know, one or 10 make it to black belt. Um, yeah, we're, our R's are never very good. <laughs> I don't show those to new students. No. But yeah. Likely, but the likelihood is you're going to quit somewhere between now and black belt. <laughs> right. But that's, but the, but the truth, but the truth is, and he, and here's where I think the two intersect also between um, spirituality and martial arts uh, in the church, your value is not determined on whether you get ordained. Your value is determined on God loving you. And so whether you're ordained or otherwise, God loves you. That never changes. Um, but certain people are called into something and they get ordained because that's what they're called into. Other people think they are or would like to be, uh, but they don't have what what it takes to actually make it there. And actually the church the church saying no, not yet to somebody who isn't ready to be ordained is actually showing love and grace to them. Yeah. Rather than putting them in a position they aren't going to be in a, in, you know able to handle, they can't live up to that responsibility, and, that, right. and that, that's a huge thing about promoting somebody to black belt in jiu-jitsu. Correct. Yeah. yeah, promoting black belt to anybody, uh, promoting any any art that right. really kind of holds that rank at at its value, and you know the school comes from a good place. Um, yeah, you, you, you can, if I just throw a black belt on you. Eight years in because, uh, you know, you put in a good amount of time and then it's not, but, you know, the qualities of, of the martial artists are not carrying over outside the school. What are you doing to that? But you're just giving that person literally like a, a weapon. Yeah. You're not, you're not helping them. You're hurting them. Yeah. You're not, you're not creating a good, a rounded individual. You're creating a really good kicker or puncher or submitter or someone can do a darn good arm bar but they can't you know can't translate those those qualities into everyday life um or you're enabling an overconfident bully who's going to get his pardon my french ass kicked <laughs> one day when he bullies the wrong person because he's not really up and and again a, a martial artist would not be a bully because somebody uh at at the level of black belt somebody at any level in martial arts would realize that this is not about fighting. This is about self-control, discipline, uh, about yeah. the art, um, about being censored, but also about being able to diffuse situations of violence, not not um, spark them or inflame them. So yeah. it, it, again, if you're if you're somebody who's not able to understand that, you don't have the humility it takes to realize your your place in the universe. Um, that is like a degree for disaster. I mean, that's that's what that is. It, it's definitely true. It's one of the, one of the things I love about about jujitsu in general is just because you can literally practice. You can roll with somebody. You can grapple, whatever you want to call it, at a hundred percent intensity, right? So you are feeling exactly what it would feel like if someone is trying their hardest to resist you from what you want to do to them for what they want to do to you. And, and you, you feel that sensation almost on a daily basis. If you train every day, you're going to feel it every single day. So what you find is like when, when, when people are making it to like purple belt and brown belt and black belt, it's like, they're going to be some of the most docile, um, you know, kind of low key, not super um, outwardly aggressive people out there because they, they, they embrace it and engage in it 
so often. You know, it's like you have a you have somebody that comes into the school who is like overly aggressive, overly eager. They either completely do the 180, which is what you love to see, or they don't make it past the first year because they can't understand the fact that I'm so big, I'm so strong, I'm so aggressive. Why is this not working? It's got to be the art. It's not me. I go somewhere else. I go try something else. Right, right, yeah. right. Like when you have that, it's not me mentality. It's <laughs> it's a it's a hard thing to overcome. It's a dangerous one because even like yeah. we were saying, when when eventually that day of humbling should come and you kind of get corrected, sometimes that person's psyche isn't is is still can't recognize that. They're just not going to accept it. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, man, right. okay, now we're. Now we got an issue. Yeah. 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 Well, that kind of leads me to my next thought. And I think um, to kind of cap off this part, I think um, those, those things that we've picked up that discipline, that humbling, that, you know, whatever the things are from whatever art that we uh, pick up. And we, we did an episode on perseverance. Um, You know, you do, you learn to apply those, those things, the discipline, to your everyday life. I mean, Todd and I couldn't have become, you know, go through college, graduate school, ordination process, all of that stuff without some sort of discipline and drive that, you know, I learned that from all my years of martial arts. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yes. um, None, none more than, than currently, right. The the ability to persevere. Yeah. in a right, yep. amen. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> a word, a word. Whether you're Taekwondo or Tang Sudo, you learn very quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I used to dread when I heard that word shouted out because <laughs> that that meant I was planking or doing something I didn't want to be doing. <laughs> um, but but it does teach you to persevere. Teaches to persevere. Um, and <clears throat> obviously, COVID, Chris might have changed this a little bit, but talk about like. How does it feel as obviously that that stuff has helped you become a successful owner of a school? Um, you, I mean, you've got your, your rank and all that accomplishments, but now you own a school. You're, you're now creating students. Um, yes. How has that been in the pandemic? And then secondly, um, how is it, how is it to know that you are instilling, you're creating better human beings? Uh, I love it. That's why I do it. It's, it's, it's an amazing feeling, whether it's a kid or an adult. Um, and it never, it never gets old. I mean, I've only been doing this a little over 10 years, a school owner, but it's like, you know, every once in a while you get, you get a story, uh, one of your students and it's a, whether it's after a, um, a, a promotion, whether it's after testing, whether it's after a tournament, whether it's after that person's accomplishment in their daily life, whatever it is, uh, it, it makes the work fulfilling a hundred percent. Um, in the, in the pandemic connecting with students, obviously it was challenging, but it was also pretty enlightening. I was, first of all, uh, you know, going back to persevering, right. You got to persevere. I feel like if I didn't have martial arts as my, as my backbone and I had another job and it was this, and it, forced me to close, forced me to shut down, whatever it was, I would have been like, okay, I'll quit. I'll do something else. But I literally remember sitting on my couch. I'm a part of this martial arts group. And they're like, here's what you got to do. 
you got to get zoom. And this is before anybody got zoom. <laughs> and I, and you know, it's a joke between me and my wife, but I am not good at anything. I mean, I'm okay. I'm getting better, but I'm really not very good. So I I'm studying the video, how, what zoom is all about and this and that and how to do it. And, and I'm like, is this really what's going to happen? Am I really going to have to like switch to zoom? And then it turns out, yes, you are. <laughs> so I undoubtedly, <laughs> but I did it. I, th- I did it at a time where I think like, I don't know if it saved the school because we kind of seem right back to where, where we were, but I shut down on a Saturday. I started running zoom on Wednesday. I had the schedule made. I had what everybody had a, a certain way to, you know, kids had their classes, super little kids had their classes, teens had their class, adults had their class. And then I was even giving uh, workouts to the parents. Like I was trying to cover all the bases one, it kept me still super busy. So I really never even thought about like what right. was happening. <laughs> right. But two, uh, when you touched on style, like connecting during the pandemic, like I was able to connect. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but I was a, I was running classes just as if I was running classes. Uh, when, when people are coming in and out of the school, I was just doing it on the computer. I really wasn't thinking twice about it. You know, I just was in a forward momentum that that never stopped. Yeah. You know, and And people, I mean, that truthfully, truthfully, that was the, my experience in the church and I'm sure, well, Sal's in a medical situation. So that's, that's a whole different uh, ball game, but in the church, it was like one Sunday, uh, well, one week it was like, okay, things are really coming to a head. There might be a shutdown. So I, I put together you know, I did a service, but I encourage people to stay home. We'll just, you know, I set up my iPhone and we'll, we'll stream live on Facebook. And, uh, right, right after that service, I came home and realized, uh, that, that things were going to go differently. Um, and so I, I remember it was actually, it was right after that service. Uh, I put together a plan saying, this is what might happen throughout this week. We might close. And if we close, this is the game plan. Uh, by Friday or it was, uh, Friday or Saturday morning, it was Saturday morning. They were going to shut everything down Sunday where only, um, what was it? Only, uh, essential driving was allowed on the roads. And so I called up my worship team and said, Hey, can you all come in today uh, in a couple hours and we'll record the service for tomorrow. And so we did, we came in, we recorded it. I uploaded it to YouTube, uh, premiered it. And from that point on, week after week after week, we pre-recorded our services remotely. And then I had to piecemeal it together into a service, but it was like, for me, nonstop. Like I was going, 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 and it wasn't ideal, but we were making it happen. Um, and for everybody else, you know, they were getting some sort of worship if they were technologically able to, to do right. it. Yeah. Um, and then, and, and then you, I don't know if you got this Chris, but, uh, but certainly in the church, you know, there were some people that thought I was on vacation from March onward because, you know, they didn't see me. <laughs> yeah. I luckily I didn't, I didn't get that. I mean, thankfully you know facebook uh blessing and a curse but in that particular period it was a it was a blessing because uh everybody could see the school still doing you know yeah it's a bit of a different situation yeah i I can attest that because i as i've admitted 
uh, I kind of train cyclically. I'll get in a routine of training. I'll stop training. I'll, I'll train. I'll stop training. So I was in a routine of training and around the holidays because clergy life gets super busy. I stopped training and I said, Oh, I'll go back in the spring. <laughs> and then. Oh, we all <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maniacal laugh here. Um, and, yeah, and yeah, that being in a healthcare situation, I know Chris, you had, uh, I don't know if we still have students. You had students who were in the medical field do yes. on the same boat yeah. of working. I was working six days a week, um, nonstop, having a baby on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're you are you running your classes on Facebook? I was like, oh, I need to do a class because I'm stressing the yeah link out yeah. So um, did you train on Facebook? So I would, I would, I wouldn't do them live, but I, I let Chris know, hey, I'm doing these classes. Once the baby's down, I had, I had them all recorded and then I put them out there. And yeah, want to take advantage, good, you know. That's the beauty of Facebook Live is once it's live, you can also save it and publish it, and people can go back to it. I mean, yeah. and then, it, uh, it has its ups as well yeah. as its downs, but yeah. And I, and I think uh, recently over the summer, as restrictions were lifted, Chris was offering. Um, you know, one-on-one private classes. Right. Yeah. Took advantage of that because I figured, hey, this is my chance to train and to help support the school. And yeah. Yeah. Um, that might, sounds like that might change again soon <laughs> just based on what's going on. Um, oh, it, yeah. It's been challenges, but, and that's part of why we wanted to bring you on the episode is, you know, I know it's been tough for all of us. Um, we want to promote the school as much as possible and help each other out. Um, Let me ask this and in, in, in a few, few short words, um, Chris, if you could explain to our listeners what the importance of martial arts is at its core, that would be, that would be awesome for them to hear. I think no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd probably need another hour, but uh, yeah, as as um as short as possible it's honesty that that that's really the 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 biggest thing for me it's uh, i mean obviously i'm not the first to say it bruce lee said it first Mm -hmm. honestly expressing yourself and that's and that's what it is and sometimes um you may not like what you see and that's why the training always allows you a second try or third try or fourth try to get it right. And then you're on that, that journey of never ending self-improvement. And that's it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hey Coming man, that the- was, that was not only concise, but powerful. So that was very powerful. I mean, that's yeah. very true. Growing up an awkward kid. Um, martial arts was the one, one thing that I was good at and, good at because it took training and repetition. Um, But it makes you, I think it both spiritually and, and like chemically, I think it rewires your, rewires your brain. Like when I started training again with you, Chris, you're like, Oh, it's just muscle memory. Um, It, it trains your body and your mind to think outside of pain and struggle um, because it puts, but also not to run away from it, which is not to run away from the pain and the struggle. And there's so many, I mean, Todd and I could go on for hours about how that relates spiritually. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I mean, that's the, like I even, when I worked at the hospital, my hospital, my boss at the hospital even wanted me to do a, I did a didactic for the other chaplains on how martial arts translates into spiritual care. Um, but because it allows you to enter that space of um, discipline, perseverance, knowing mind over matter. Um, and in, knowing, in, in nay, I mean, like that whole idea of, like you said, perseverance is very much built into the gospel. I mean, Jesus says, but those who endure, those who persevere to the end will be saved. You know, like this, hey, this isn't going to be easy. You're not going to just like walk onto the stage and be like, you know, uh, ready to go on moment one. You're, you're going to have trials, tribulations, pain to endure. Um, but if you endure to the end, <laughs> you know, and that's very much martial arts. You know, it's about learning to rather than running from the pain and hiding from the pain, which you can't avoid no matter how much you run and hide. In fact, running and hiding only causes more pain. Uh, if you face it head on and you endure and you rise above it. Um, you know, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 that's why, and we'll get into this in the, the extra segment, but that's why, uh, the, I, the church, I wish it would understand that the Hollywood version of martial arts is, is not the soul of martial arts, you know, like, I mean, they're cool to watch. It's fun to watch, but it's like, like, the real martial arts is so much more in line with spiritual thought, whether it's Christian, Buddhist, or otherwise, it's so much more in line with that than it is what you see on TV. I mean, which is great. It's, it's interesting that you say that, that some people still have that perception, you know, because even, even, uh, you know, my small population and community here, my, the majority of my parents favorite part of class are my mat chats. Mm-hmm. where they're just sitting on the floor and we're talking. Yep. Yep. You know, because that's where, that's where all the physical can be translated into words and then how to be applied. And that's, that's the power. It's, you know, it's not the punch and kick package. It's not the, you know, the, how to, how to beat somebody up package. It's, it's the, it's everything you said, you know, it's yeah. that package. That internalization, discovering who you are, not only who you are individually, but who you are, uh, with in interaction and relation with those around you, um, which is very much martial and, arts. <laughs> and, and I'm sure a lot of parents bring their kids in because it, it is that I want my kid to have the confidence to confront bullies or yeah. you know, the self-confidence bit. Which, and there's nothing wrong with that. Which was definitely yeah. it for me when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, but when you do the, the, the mat chats with them, parents realize that it's you're not just creating it it always raises the eyebrows like oh it is a it's it is a little bit different yeah yeah oh he's actually he's actually making my child a well-rounded person not just making him confident yeah there's something deeper here than just punching (laughs) and kicking yeah yeah uh powerful stuff well i think this is a good note to end our episode um unless anybody else has anything uh to offer um but if not, then I think this is a good place for us to end. And uh, we definitely will carry the conversation on for our Patreon subscribers. So uh, if you're not one of those, why? Like, why? Uh, be one. 
for the price a month for a pizza, you could you could support our ministry and see the bonus content. And yeah, and, and that's the most expensive. Like you could you could even just for coffee a month, <laughs> you could you could uh, at least listen to audio or a frappuccino a month. Uh, you know, be able to see us on video. But you know, hey. Uh, come on over and listen. For those of you who are subscribers, thank you. Uh, we appreciate your continued support and hope you enjoy the uh, episode to come. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess in the meantime, Sal, we'll go well, ahead. You know where to find us, partyonjohncast.org, partyonjohncast on Twitter and Facebook. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, no, yeah. Or on Twitter. Uh, Chris, we'll, we'll put it in the notes uh, of the episode if you want to real quick. Tell us where the school is. Yes. I know where the, I know where the school is, but tell the audience where the school is. Sure. Uh, Training for Life Martial Arts Academy, Pompton Plains, New Jersey. We're on right on Route 23, 681 Route 23, uh, Pompton Plains. Uh, training for Life MA.com. Perfect. It's a Perfect. training training the number for life. MA as in martial arts.com, correct. Yes. Uh, and um that's that's awesome so uh we'll definitely post that to our episode notes uh but in the meantime friends remember be excellent to each other and don't be a jerk rock on rock on, rock on. Rock on.